0: Uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have your, your smartphone, you can get onto version and you can follow along or your listening guides or on the screen. See, we make it just totally easy for you to see the Word of God. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now picture the temple. They're in the court of the temple. The temple probably has stones or concrete for the ground, but there's dust on them, right? So Jesus bends down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And when they were Jesus was teaching, so we're assuming the crowd stayed there because they wanted to see what was going on. But the men who had brought him brought her before him left. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you. No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, now you should have gotten two pieces of paper, right? Blank pieces of paper, not just your listening guide. Everybody got two pieces of paper? Just take one of them if you have it. If no, you didn't get your listening guides, this is one way we find out. (coughs) It's a test. So what I want you to do is take one of your pieces of paper. I want you to crumple it up. This has just become a stone, a rock. Now, when, when you throw a rock, we're not talking about little rocks that you skip across, you know, the lake. We're talking softball size. Now, I wasn't going to give you softball size because I don't trust you that much. I was going to give you little pieces of paper that even if you put something in it, it wouldn't hurt me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stone the pastor with the stones that you have. Ready? Go. Dude, if I ever get drugged before Jesus, I want y'all to be the stoners, because I mean like one hit, I'm good, I'm good, alright, now, I want, you to, uh, I want you to remember that, and by the way, at the end, now, now if they're down around you, you're done, for now, alright, I'll tell you what to do in a bit later, but I will expect some help from the stoners, from the stone throwing people later when it's time to clean up, <clears throat> the stoners, yeah, y'all got that. And, and and I'm not going to tell them whether that's literal or figurative in this group. Now, this message is for everyone who ever did anything wrong or whoever felt guilty. Either one. Now, if you do wrong things and you never feel guilty, that's called being a psychopath. And this message is definitely for you. <clears throat> if you feel guilty all the time, even when you haven't done anything wrong, that's called being neurotic. And we have a lot of those in this church. If you do wrong things and you feel guilty, that's just regular old sin, and this message is for you. If you've never done anything wrong and you never feel guilty, you're a Baptist. (laughs) And you know someone who needs to hear this message, all right? So you get the CD later and you take it to them. Now, this is a story about judgment, it's about law, it's about guilt, it's about mercy. It's a story about one person who has messed up, been caught in the act of messing up, and I'm guessing she is terribly regretful about it. Um, there's a lot of shame. It's about another group of people who also did something equally as bad as the woman, but they don't even recognize their own shame. They're so worried about moral decay in, in society that they don't see the rot in their own souls. And that's a story about Jesus. Now, the woman had to ask herself, How did I end up here? Right? Um, (laughs) We know she was a married woman. The reason we know that is because the Old Testament law that was referred to specifically is talking about married women. She had at one time, we're assuming this because of the culture, she had at one time been a young bride, she had all these dreams about having a husband who loved her, she had dreams about praying with her husband and going to worship with her husband, maybe even having children, raising a family, having a life together with a husband, and somehow things didn't turn out the way that she had hoped. She was disappointed in her marriage, and maybe it was her husband, maybe it was her, maybe though, as is usually the case, it was both of them who contributed to a poor marriage. Somewhere along the line, she meets another man, and he seemed to notice her. Man, this is, he seemed to, to care about what she had to say, and this is, this is a powerful, powerful thing for an aching heart. And this woman in the story meets a man who seemed to care, and at first, it's probably all very, very innocent. You know, that, that's how these things go. One day, though, they cross a line, and it could have, been, could have been just a touch on the hand that lingered a little too long. It could have been a look in the eyes that, that caused one or both of their hearts to, to beat just a little bit faster. And it, it could have been that um, she began to share things that betrayed her husband's confidence, and she crossed the line. And maybe she didn't even notice it at first, but she crossed the line. You see, the evil one wants to keep all of this stuff kind of dark and hazy so we don't even realize it when we cross lines, but, but, but we are choosing. Make, make no mistake, when you sin, you choose to sin. Nobody made you sin, you choose to sin. She chose to sin. Then she crossed another line, then she crossed a whole bunch of lines until eventually this became a full-blown adultery, adulterous relationship. Now, I want to be real careful to call it what the Bible calls it. Because we've dressed up sin. Sin is no longer adultery. What's it called? An affair. If, if somebody has an adulterous relationship, adulterous relationship means sexual relationship between married people. If it's, if it's outside of marriage, neither one of them are married, it's called fornication. Let's not dress up this, this thing that Jesus called adultery, that scripture calls adultery, just because we want to be politically correct. Jesus wasn't PC, and neither is our church. As long as she had this secret, though, it was like she could live two different lives at the same time. And she didn't have to... She didn't. Her worlds never had to collide. Now, I've seen this happen in a lot of people's lives, and I don't want it to happen in yours. That's why we're going here today. When she was in one world, she could pretend like the other didn't exist. She kept herself from thinking what this might do to her children if they found out. She kept her... from thinking about how damaging this was to her soul, but this was damaging her soul because you can never get the blessing of God while disobeying the commands of God. This was damaging her soul. And and here's what you need to understand about sin. Sin unchecked leads to more sin. Unconfessed sin leads to more sin. Unaccountable people do more and more sin thinking that they're never going to be found out. You know, probably the first time that, that she lied to her husband about where she was going to go so she could go meet this man, probably she felt a little bit guilty and, her, and she probably her face was flushed and, and she probably assumed that her, her husband was going to find her out. But eventually she became such an expert at deceiving her husband her children that, that now she could lie without even thinking twice about it. She, she didn't even notice she'd become a liar. She wasn't just a person who lied. She had become, she was playing the role of liar. The first time she slept with this man, when she went to synagogue, because that was part of the culture, they would go to synagogue. When she went to synagogue afterwards and heard the scriptures, she was sure everyone could see the guilt on her face. She was sure everybody would find out. She was sure God would strike her dead with a bolt of lightning. She vowed to God, she would never see this man again, ever. But nobody found out. There was no lightning. God did nothing. So now, after time, she goes to the synagogue She hardly thinks about the adultery at all. She also doesn't think much about God. She tries to think about other things when people pray. See, the truth about her is she's become more than a liar. She has become a hypocrite personified. Now, let me just say this. We we embrace the fact that we're hypocrites around here. We don't do it intentionally, but we say, because a lot of people say, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. There are hypocrites here. I am one, not intentionally, but I am one. I try not to be. But we're just going to say, we're all a bunch of sinners. We're all messed up, but we know a perfect God. And we're going to allow him to change us. She'd become a hypocrite. And, and as long as her secret is intact, she doesn't even think about things. Every once in a while, she'll wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, but that usually passes. She doesn't really notice what is happening to her mind and to her heart until judgment day, till this day when she's caught. She's with this man that she's been with, we don't know how many times, only this time it happens. The door opens, there'd been men outside waiting, watching, now they come into the room and they seize her. She screams, she begs for mercy, she would give anything if she could go back to when she crossed that first line, but here's the thing about sin, you can never go back. Satan doesn't tell you that. Satan tells you, it's okay, you can do this. So what he said to the Garden of Eden, you can do this, nothing's going to happen. You can never go back. She would kill herself right then if she could, but they're not going to let her. Oh, no, no, no. They have something much better in store for her. They wrap her up in sheets and they lead her away. And this vague haze that she'd been living in, this, this life of deception with these dual worlds, comes crashing down because just like in the Garden of Eden when they ate the fruit and it says their eyes were opened, all of a sudden her eyes were opened and she sees herself naked and she is very, very ashamed. She wants more than anything to hide, but there's no place to go. And I think it's at this moment that she realizes how she got here. She chose it. She chose this life. Now, that's not all there was to it. She was hurt. She was wounded. She had unmet needs. But make no mistake, she's not just a victim here. She chose to commit adultery. She made a thousand little choices that eventually led her to this point of being caught. Now, let's push the pause button for just a second. Some of you are wrestling with sin right now and it might be this sin and if if it is you're very very uncomfortable right now Some of you though your sin is anger or it's greed or it's cheating or lying And 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 I think some of you gotten really good at hiding things and you think nobody's ever going to find out But god already knows and and bible says be very sure your sin will always find you out Some of you aren't into full-blown adultery yet, but you've crossed a lot of lines and you know where it's headed and it's just a matter of how far are you going to go before you stop it. And I just want to say today, stop it. Because you don't want to be the person in front of the crowd that everybody's throwing stones at. Because even though we don't throw physical stones nowadays, people still throw stones, right? Don't they? People still talk. They still point. They still whisper. You don't want to be that person. Uh, I'm just asking that that if you're one of those people and, and you are considering pursuing something a little bit deeper with somebody who you're not married to. If you're married, stop it. Because you're not gonna get the blessing of God by violating the principles of God. Some of you though, it's not adultery, but there are addictive sexual behaviors. Some of you are scared right now because um, you've got a computer that your company issued you and you've been visiting websites that you know you shouldn't be and you could lose your job if they were to ever confiscate that computer. Some of you have have been uh, out of town, and you've gone into motel rooms, and before you know it, you find yourself watching pornographic movies that you never intended to watch, and you feel guilty, and you shut it off, and you swear to God you'll never do it again. But you do. You break that promise, and you don't realize what's happening in your heart. Or some of you, if you ever watched the movie Fireproof, uh, you saw this, some of you, you get on your computers late at night when your family's asleep, and if anybody gets up and notices you're on your computer, you lie because you don't want to get caught because you're visiting pornographic websites. When you come to church, like this weekend, you see people worshiping. You see people pouring out their heart to God, and you want to do that, but you can't because your heart is hard because of repeated sin in your life. This whole series is about the truth. Will, be, will we be willing to tell ourselves the truth? And so I want to kind of do a mass confession, but we're not going to do sexual sin because that would be really uncomfortable right now. So I'm going to broaden it out, but I am going to ask for a show of hands. So everybody can... Here it is. This is as generic as I can make it. How many of you here have ever wrestled with a bad habit of any kind? You see your hands? Okay, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Look around at those who don't have their hands up. They are a psychopath, and we need to pray for... Okay, you can put them down. Now, those of you who have ever struggled with a bad habit of any kind, did you find out that just one day it spontaneously left you? You just woke up, and you no longer had that desire. As a general rule, no, it doesn't happen that way. Because these things get embedded in our bodies, in our minds, whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's some kind of chemical addiction, whatever it is, it gets embodied. And, and when they get to that certain degree of strength, they don't just go away by themselves. And in fact, when they're that deeply embedded, willpower is not enough to overcome that. That. It's going to require coming into the light. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, talking about Jesus, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The reason some of you do not have fellowship is because you're not honest about the secret sins that you've been hiding. That's what this series is about. Let's tell the truth. Come into the light. Confess to God. Confess to myself and confess to one or two Christians of the same sex that you can trust. Because... The Bible says in James, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We're not healed because we don't confess to one another. And I'm not talking about standing up here and confessing. I'm talking about having somebody that you trust, that you admire their relationship with Christ. Because the dumbest thing in the world would go find either a weak or a pretend Christian and pour out all your secrets before them. Because that's how it ends up on Facebook. You find somebody that you can trust, and you begin confessing to them. And, and honestly, some of you need to get your butts in CR. CR is free counseling. I did it for a year. So, so if, if, if you think that I have any relationship with Christ, and, and you think that you know, maybe I, I know a little bit, I, I did Celebrate Recovery for a year, and then Janie and I watched Children for about nine months after that so that we could have this Celebrate Recovery. We just kicked off this new thing. And in fact, I didn't even realize this until Teresa told me Jeff is teaching some stuff that we learned uh, at a conference a few weeks ago. Incredible stuff about how you can change your habits. Really over a seven-day period, but if you really want it to, to solidify, you've got to go 62 days. And so if you'll come and, and swallow your pride and come, you don't even have to share a whole lot at first. You're not going to, well, I say you're not going to share. Here's what happened when I was a step study or a small group leader in in Celebrate Recovery. People, and I'm talking people who'd spent a lot of time in jail, people who were repeatedly in jail, people who would tell you that they don't deserve to come into a church were coming into this group and their eyes would be great big and they would pull me aside before we go in there and they say, dude, no offense, but I ain't saying a word. And I'm like, no problem, man. Just Listen. And we had guys in there that would come, they would just tell you what was going on. Every single time for a year, when a new person would come, by the time it got around to them and they had heard how incredibly honest the other people were, they'd say, well, here's my deal. And the Holy Spirit would descend in that place and hearts would be mended and lives would be healed. Healed now not always right then but it's as you open up as you share and and we we take it very very seriously i said this in my small group a couple of weeks ago we say this in in celebrate recovery what happens in celebrate recovery better stay there or we will kick you out and 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 we we do that because when somebody opens up and shares you can't be the one that goes and gossips about that you don't have a right unless that person tells you you can share this. You do not have a right. And in fact, we've kicked somebody out of Celebrate Recovery. we kicked somebody out of the church. We did church discipline, not, not in, a, in a spiteful, harmful way, but we went to them. We said, you, you can't do this. They did it again. We went to them and said, you can't come back. Because it's so important for people to be healed. They can't be healed if somebody's flapping their gums outside of the process. Make sense? When problems get really deep, You're going to need some accountability because here's the truth about me. And I think it's the truth about you too. I'm not strong enough to handle the truth about me all by myself. You have to choose to get help. All right, back to the story. Now this woman is in front of Jesus because of her choices, but there's another reason she's in front of Jesus. Um, There's another set of characters. In verse two, we're told that Jesus sat down to teach them. In those days, the way a rabbi signaled that it was teaching time, the formal teaching time had begun was to sit down. Now most churches um, they they stand, the preacher stand, and you get to sit but but in Jesus' day the the teacher would sit because then he could teach for hours and hours, and it's biblical, and we can just spend some time okay, that didn't work. didn't go over very well but but it's biblical anyway. <laughs> the point is, Jesus is teaching, and these men come up, and they start talking to him in the midst of the, a, a, a crowd like this. See, what the point that Jesus wants us to get is this was not a private conversation where they were trying to discern what to do in a confidential setting. This was very public They burst in the door, woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, throw her down, and they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act, and and see, teacher, that's such, back then it was very much an honored title. It was a respectful title. We were coming back from a gym meet last night, and just randomly, Hannah goes, you know what? You know what I like in the Bible is when it says, woman, you know, like Jesus said, woman, what do I have to do with you? And and really it's a it's a title it's a term of of respect back then now it's more like woman and the dude gets smacked and and he deserves it right right yeah <laughs> don't aim in that um I don't want to deal with that right now um But so Hannah goes Well that's a term of respect when I use it she said can I call you woman daddy? I just kind of looked at her I don't think that would be a term of respect, but in this case it was. Now, you've got to have the backstory. When they come up and they say, teacher, she was caught in the act of adultery, the law was clear that to be caught in the act, the, the testimony of one witness was not enough. You had to have at least two witnesses. Um, so in Deuteronomy 19, you have to have at least two witnesses to convict anybody of anything. That means at least two, maybe more men had been hanging around her house They had to be watching through the window. How long did they watch? We don't know. How much did they see? We don't know. But see, we do know in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, if there's a community of believers and you see a believer about to be caught in sin, you have an obligation to help them not get caught up in that sin. We are our brothers and sisters keepers. These men didn't do that. And um, you notice too, they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man who was caught in adultery and the law required both of them be stoned to death. And we're not talking little rocks, big softball-sized rocks. The law required both of them. So this tells you they weren't interested in the law. That's that's not what they were trying to do here. <laughs> This is a classic double standard because the woman in that society was the lowest member of society and therefore she's the one most easily used. She's a prop. She's an object. They don't care about her. They're using her. They think we've got Jesus now because if Jesus shows mercy on the woman, then they can say this guy doesn't follow the law. He doesn't follow the law of Moses. Big Mo wrote this down and Jesus doesn't follow it. We don't have to listen to him. If he, was, uh, if he, was, if he decided to have her stoned, then, then the people would never forgive him. Now here's the other thing. The Romans had forbidden the Jews from executing anyone. It's why Jesus, it's why they had to take Jesus before Pilate. The, the religious leaders didn't have the power. They could be killed themselves if they executed someone. And so if Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then, she, then he's in big trouble with the Romans. So they're thinking, we got him now. And here's this woman trembling with fear, wishing she could die, believing she's about to, and the men don't even see her. They've appointed themselves judge and jury, and they're standing there with stones in their hand, just waiting for the word. Now, before we, we judge them too quickly, I've got to ask you a quick question. Have you ever had a stone in your hand? Because this is a strange thing that can happen to a heart that used to be tender, You know, I I wonder if these teachers, these religious leaders, I wonder if when they were young men and they signed up for a life of service to God, I wonder if their hearts were soft and warm and they, they loved God and they loved people and they were motivated by serving others. I wonder if that's how they started out. Then over time, something bad happened from doing something good because they were trained in the law. They knew the scriptures, but the Bible actually tells us that knowledge puffs up and they became proud and, and somewhere in the process, all their efforts at obedience and diligence and righteousness fill them with disdain for those who would be less devoted to God. Their giftedness fills them with impatience and contempt for those who are weaker until one day they are just as enslaved by a cold heart as any addict ever was by a drug. What's so dangerous about judgmentalism and pride and arrogance and moral superiority, those are called sins of the spirit is that when those sins get a hold of you, you don't even recognize the truth about yourself. You think you have the moral authority to judge other people. You walk through life as if it were a courtroom, and you're a judge and jury, and you have stones in your hands. See, there's, I've been in the church my whole life, and I love the church. But I have to ask this question. Why do churches produce so many stone throwers? See, the church I grew up in, for some reason... There were a lot of people, not all, but a lot, whose hearts were cold. That's not all the truth about them, but it's 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 a lot of the truth about them. They didn't dance, they didn't laugh, they didn't love people. But there was one thing they enjoyed. They enjoyed passing judgment on the spiritual inferiority of others. Somebody's kids were a little wild, they'd pick up a stone. Somebody's marriage wasn't working, they'd pick up a stone. Music minister chooses the wrong song and God forbid plays it too loudly, they pick up a stone. Somebody crosses a line, violates a code, dresses the wrong way, has a problem, word spreads, people picked up stones, and you want to know the truth about them? They enjoyed gathering stones to throw at people. So these men who enjoy gathering stones, these lovers of God, with this woman trembling, waiting to die. And then this strange man named Jesus, who they just cannot get rid of. And they say, Jesus, what do you say? And he does the most amazing thing. He, he bends down, he starts drawing in the dirt. And this bothers them. The scripture tells us that they didn't just ask him once, they pestered him. They kept asking him until he gave them an answer. You're the teacher, you're the rabbi, make the call, what do you sh- say we should do? Finally, Jesus stands up and he goes, okay, go ahead. Because he says, okay. That means go ahead, but... Let the one who has no sin be the one to throw the first rock. Jesus goes back and he starts drawing in the dirt again. And there's been all kinds of speculation about what he drawing. drawn. We don't know what he was drawing in the dirt. The scripture doesn't tell us, so we're not even going to speculate about this. But here's what we do know. We do know that the word of Jesus Christ penetrated their hearts because it says that the men were standing around and all of a sudden you heard, boom, the first stone fell. And the oldest left. And then a second stone fell. And then a third. Until eventually while Jesus is drawn in there. See, and, and I imagine the woman, she's looking at Jesus. But she's hearing the rocks fall and she looks over there. She looks at Jesus. Rocks are falling everywhere. Until it's just Jesus and her and whoever was in the crowd. Because wouldn't you like to be there? If Jesus is teaching me, I'm going, what's he going to do now? (laughs) Go ahead and throw your stones. Just make sure you remember that sinful people are really in no position to throw stones. See... The Bible says in in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're told in John chapter one that Jesus was the word of God. The word was in the beginning, was with God. He was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when Jesus Christ says to you, if you are without sin, you go ahead and throw that stone. And then he starts drawing in the dirt. He penetrated their hearts with his word. And they left. See, they could see her sin, but they couldn't see their own. And here's the truth about me. I can see your sin very clearly. But I can't always see my own. Suddenly the truth about them is revealed. They're not what they thought they were. They're not champions of God. They're not fighters for morality. They are a cold-hearted arrogant little circle of stone throwers see that's what mean little kids do on the playground they throw rocks at you just to hurt you jesus says, go ahead just make sure whoever goes first is without sin somebody lets go of a stone and before you know it everybody's gone pause button again does anybody here need to drop a stone today Some of you have been carrying a a stone against your mom or your dad or that person, your ex, your boss, co-worker, somebody who really hurt you. The sad thing is some of you have been carrying those stones around so long you don't even know that you still have it. And your heart is getting colder every day. And here's the thing, maybe putting that stone down is going to cost something. Because if you've been gossiping about somebody, Scripture says you're supposed to go to them. And ask forgiveness. But here's the other thing. If you've been gossiping to somebody, you need to go to that person that you've been gossiping to and ask for forgiveness because you're wrong. When we have the Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks, some of you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because you're actively living in sin. You've, you've known what God wanted you to do and you refuse to do it. So I caution people all the time, do not take the Lord's Supper if you are actively living in sin. And I don't mean that, that you, you stubbed your toe and you said a cuss word. I mean, that, that you know what sin is going on in your life and you do it repeatedly over and over and over again. And, and if your heart is hard towards somebody, some of, some of you need to go do an act of service for them and you don't need to tell anybody about it. You need to ask God to see it and God to release you from this anger and this bitterness that you've been holding against them. If you behave badly towards somebody in this room, today you need to go and you need to ask them for forgiveness. Don't put it off. <laughs> And here's why. There's no room in Jesus' kingdom for stone throwers. You want to know why? Because every one of us in here is broken. We're messed up. And Jesus called us to be a family. Scripture calls this a family. We're not a courtroom. Now, there is a courtroom at the end. Read Revelation See, the job description for God of the universe has been filled. Son of God has been filled. Holy Spirit. Now, this is, this, is where, this is where the Baptists were really good because we, we tried to be the Holy Spirit for everybody. Didn't want the Holy Spirit to be in control. We wanted to be the Holy Spirit. Those job descriptions are already taken. There is a courtroom coming, but, but the Bible says we'll all kneel. And we'll confess, whether we're a believer in Christ or not, there will be a day when we will we will kneel before Him and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. If you have, if you've been baptized, if you've asked Jesus to be the sins of sins, the Lord of your life, then you get to go into heaven. If you've not done that before you meet Jesus Christ face to face, the Bible's very clear it says, depart from me, because I don't know who you are. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire. We need each other to grow because we're a family. Now, You have to understand, one by one, they put the stones down and they walk away, but the woman is still wondering what's going to happen because Jesus has the right to be the stone thrower. He's, He's holy. He has the right to take her life because she has violated the laws of God and he is God in flesh. He has the right to kill her. And he does this wonderful thing. He asks a question. He asks questions all the time, and this is one of the coolest ones because he says to the woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Now, this is really cool because he says, where are they? Because he said, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. So he's saying, where are the sinless ones? Where are your accusers? Because there's only one right there, and it's Jesus Christ. He's looking at her. She looks around. She said, there's none, Lord. And he says, good. They don't condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. And, And I think he was making this point because the stone throwers were just as sin stained as the woman caught in adultery. He says, you're in the same boat, you and those people. For all their moral superiority, for all their spiritual superiority, they're broken sinners, they're broken people just like you. She says, no, no one is here, Lord. And, and I think this is the moment, the beginning of her faith in this one who had mercy on her. And it's a crazy, wonderful moment, and it can be your moment today. This could be the day that you step across the line of faith because Jesus has the right to take your life. But he he shows mercy and grace. Because what he says there, he goes, how about a do-over? How about if I wipe the slate clean? How about if you're completely forgiven, you have a new birth and a different story? How about if we get rid of that old woman that's killing you and you have a new life? And she says, I'll take that. This is really important because the woman understands the cost of this offer. See, at the beginning, she was going to die. And Jesus stood up for her. Jesus stood between her and the crowd. He stopped them, and because he stopped them, she is saved, but now they want him to die, and Jesus is going to die. Because he stopped them, she's saved. She will live because Jesus died in her place. And this is deep at the core of the gospel. It's deep at the core of New Life Community Church. This is who we are. Divine do-overs come to anyone. The Bible says none of us are good enough to get into heaven. The only way we get in is... If Jesus offers you to die in your place and you take that. Now, just real quickly, I want to know how many of you have been hurt, have been damaged, whether it was through divorce, whether it's through church, whether it's through other people, you've been hurt and you've been damaged and you've had a do over here at New Life Community Church. God used our church to bring about a do over in your life. Let me see your hands. Look around. That's pretty cool. Now, those of you who've had a do over anywhere, not just with New Life Community Church, put your hands up. Now, those of you who, who knew life, put your hands back up. Let me see. All right. There's still some people in this room who've never had a do-over. And Jesus is offering that. And, and you, know what the, you know what the symbol for a do-over has been for 2,000 years? It's baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but it shows everybody else that you've been buried with Christ through baptism into his death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is an act of obedience that demonstrates to everybody, I've had a do-over. I'm a new person. A new life has begun. Now, he gives her the do-over, but he doesn't stop there. He has one more thing to say. And I think these words were with her until the day she died. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't gloss over the fact that she'd sinned for her to receive forgiveness from Jesus and then go back to her old ways would have been unthinkable. She couldn't do that to herself. She couldn't do that to him. You see, grace, grace doesn't mean you don't have to repent. Grace gives you the power to repent. Repent means I change my mind, which changes my actions. And I don't do the things that I used to do. Grace gives you the power to Repent. And see, she's still going to have to go through the consequences of her sin. God doesn't wipe out the consequences of your past. I talk to guys in jail, and I say, you're here because of choices that you made in the past. This doesn't define who you are for the future, but you have to suffer the consequences. Part of her consequences, she had to break it off with her lover. She had to say no more. She had to go back to her husband and ask for forgiveness. Maybe he forgives her, maybe he doesn't. We don't know about that. We don't know what her children thought about that. We're not told about any of this, but here's what we do know from this day forward, when she had this do-over and Jesus became her Lord, she would never face a day alone again. From that day until she walked into heaven, she would never be alone again. She would have divine power to forgive her, to cleanse her, to put her heart back together. And here's the cool thing. Her friend can be your friend. This is the last thing that, that's on your listening guide. The truth about you is Jesus loves you so much that your death became his death so that his life can become your life if you will simply receive it. I need you to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm gonna continue this next week and, and just as clearly as possible, I'm gonna tell you how you can have a new life. But just right now, Scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and the way we do that around here is we say, Jesus, would you forgive my sins and lead my life? And if, you're, if you've not ever had a do-over and you want one, that's what you pray right now. Just in your mind. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins and would you lead my life? And then I would challenge you to say these words. As best I know how, I give you my life right now. And I ask for your life in return. If you did that, the Bible says you just stepped into the line, the the kingdom of God. You stepped across the line of faith and you have a new life. And if you did that, I want you to write it on your card in just a minute because I've got something I need to give you, a, a little pamphlet I want you to read through. And then you need to start thinking about being baptized. Father, we give you this day and we ask that we would never be the same as a church, as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we got three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we take up our offering around here, or you can give online, nlccp.com. We have a registration card basket. Now, if you prayed to receive Christ today, I want you to write that on the back. If you've been away from Christ and you want to come back, write that on the back. If you've got prayer concerns or praises, I read through all of those on Sunday afternoons. And, and I, I enjoy reading through that and praying through that. Um, we have a third basket, which is our bagel basket. I love it. I love it. Anything that goes in there is going uh, for our next project, which is we got to plant some trees out here, and we're gonna put we're gonna pave the parking lot eventually. Uh, that's that's one hundred and thirty thousand dollars away if we pave the whole thing. And anyway, now here's what I want you to do with your second piece of paper. This is the last thing. There's somebody that you need to forgive. I want you to write their name on there. Nobody else is going to see it. I want you to crumple it up. And George, would you go back there and get a couple of trash cans and just put them at the door? Symbolically, if you're ready to let go of that stone, when you walk by the trash cans and you leave today, drop them in. You say, Jesus, I'm letting go with your power. And you drop them in. Stand up, hug three people and tell them you love them. You're dismissed.